Welcome to another episode of Mosef's podcast. I'm Derek Gilling here, your host today and CEO of Mosef, the API analytics platform. Joining me is Ken Lane, otherwise known as an API evangelist, a veteran of APIs, and currently the chief evangelist at Postman. Really happy to have you here today, Ken. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Definitely. So just jumping into things, I'm curious, how did you get into APIs and uh, what led you to Postman? Ooh, um, so... Historically, I'm a, I'm a database person. So started working on databases here. I'm going to date myself here. Um, 1988, 87, um, my first job. And so fast forward that, you know, the internet comes out, I'm building database driven web applications. Um, come around 2006, 2007, I'm running um, North American events for SAP. So all of their everything from a meeting up to their 50,000 person flagship uh, Sapphire event. And I was started using um, Amazon APIs in a new way to scale infrastructure. And I never used APIs in that way before. And then around the same time, I started getting requests to do more mobile apps. And the, the company that I worked for at the time, we were running all of SAP's North American events, and we had just took on all of Google's events. So I ran Google I.O. in 2008 and 2009, and I was both at SAP and Google events. I was getting more asked to build mobile apps. And then the last one I ran for Google was the year they gave away the first Android phone. And so in that, I saw the role that uh, web APIs were playing. And by 2010, I, I, I started my own kind of consulting uh, career, which apievangelist.com is kind of the, the face of, um, and then spent the last decade just really talking, helping organizations think through their API lifecycle and, and how to optimize and, and do things more efficiently. And then by 2020 here, or 2019, um, you know, Abhinav and, and, and Postman is one of the tools, one of the, the top performing tools in my toolbox. Everywhere I'm speaking, you know, all when I ask what tools are you using, Postman is top of mind for everyone. And so when it comes to really applying um, what I've learned over the last decade and making the rubber meet the road when it comes to the API lifecycle, Postman was really top of that list when it comes to places I could go work. And uh, honestly, I have a, a daughter going through university now, so I needed a job doing the, the old hustle. Didn't quite <laughs> pay for college. <laughs> so um, it paid the bills, but uh, I needed a job to put her through university. And um, I kind of like having health insurance now as well. <laughs> and, and I get to, get to work on problems and, you know, that are of the scope that I really want. And I get to you know, practice what I've been preaching for the last decade. So it's a, it's a good fit. Well, awesome. And uh, we're huge fans of Postman over here at Mosef and uh, even our last company, uh, great product and great UI. Uh, it's interesting to see all the different roles that's popped up within uh, APIs and, and developer relations. You have developer experience, product management, developer relations itself, you know, but can become quite ambiguous. What does this all mean? What are these different roles and, and how is it organized at Postman? Yeah, I mean, you know, when it comes to the, the API lifecycle, I would say more more people are getting involved in the conversation. Um, for me, that's one of the reasons why web APIs or RESTful APIs were so successful is because they're simpler. They're less technical, you know, um, in, in their simplest form, it's a URL with a bunch of query parameters that anyone can, can use. So they're, 
they're a lot less complicated to use. And when you have a tool like Postman that allows you to make API calls without writing code, it starts kind of breaking down some of these doorways that exist between classic IT and business. And we've just started seeing a lot more um, opening up of people coming into the conversation with a, you know, starting with a flood of kind of Q&A and testing folks who need to actually test APIs and understand. But we're starting to see more business stakeholders step up and need, uh, you know, need that awareness that comes from API management and, and the analytics that are there and requesting dashboards and requesting more insights into what, what is going on with these APIs um, that, are, that are critical behind the web and mobile and device applications that they're using to drive business. And so we're really see as, as the API kind of lifecycle expands and grows and you know, APIs are, are, aren't something you're like, should we be doing? Like everyone's doing them. All mainstream companies now are realize that they should be doing APIs opening up this this aware this layer of awareness to business stakeholders is proving to be pretty critical so we're seeing sales teams emerge as a persona that we're we're catering to we're seeing analysts we're seeing you know other other vps and other business stakeholders so you know according to the state of api report that uh, postman produces i think it was almost 13,000 people last the last time filled it out we're just seeing a lot more of those roles emerge. And then we're seeing that inside of Postman as well. Like we're seeing more of our marketing folks using uh, Marketo's APIs or using Salesforce APIs in combined with collections to actually understand more about what the tools that they're already using, using the Salesforce APIs, using Marketo's APIs, and but then using Postman collections to extract that data, make sense of what's going on. And so APIs are just everywhere. They're, they're beneath everything that we touch, you know, um, in our personal and business lives. And I think uh, more people are waking up to that fact and they're needing tools that help them make sense of, of all this world that's kind of unfolded, uh, unfolded under our feet, but is also fast growing and fast changing and evolving. Uh, definitely. And when it comes to things like Postman Collections, uh, what's some of the more interesting things that you've seen or more interesting surprises when different companies try and implement new APIs? Well, I mean, you know, from the, from the basic kind of stabilizing things that once you have a collection with a set of tests running on it, that, that you, you're able to start measuring all APIs across an organization equally in a kind of standardized way. So people starting to think about not just testing, but also governance. And it reveals how how different APIs are across the same organization. You know, the company might be Adobe or the company might be, you know, Microsoft or, you know, but how they build APIs across each teams varies widely. And I don't think people always see that. And so once you start standardizing and saving collections, running tests, sharing them and collaborating um, across teams, and you start seeing some of the weird things that can emerge, um, I think people are really realizing, well, we're not all rowing in the exact same direction that as we thought we were. And so I think when you're able to save, set up an API call, save it as a collection, and then share it amongst other stakeholders and say, hit, just hit run on this and see what you get. You start really kind of standardizing how people talk and communicate and work around things. And I would say people just aren't always realize how different 
each team approaches and and those differences across orgs i think are pretty eye-opening for a lot of folks and, and do you see a difference when it comes to api governance at a larger company versus maybe a smaller startup well i mean i would say it's it's a lot it's a lot there's a lot more of the human aspect to to, mm-hmm. to kind of set in motion when you're at a smaller company and you want to do governance you've got less of a surface area and less people involved in that so it's it's sometimes a little easier to institute but as as a number of teams number of apis grows um that becomes a much more human thing uh you have to go around and educate people about well what is postman what is open api how do you use open api to define your contracts oh and then here's how you use postman to test and and monitor and and uh, uh, execute those API calls in a way that, you know, we can report on governance. And so I would say the, the biggest difference is really just that investing in the human, the, the human training, education, workshops, feedback loop around governance. Otherwise you end up with, um, you know, people not really caring, not people, uh, revolting when you, when it says, well, Hey, we, we don't want to do that. We, you know, we don't feel cause we didn't have it give any feedback on what is governance, why governance and what those tests are about and what the reporting is. And so, um, just the larger the groups, the more kind of dog and pony show you got to have around why governance, what is it? And then that evolution of it. Cause if you don't have the, the team buy-in, it's going to be pretty hard to do. And that's just a lot easier when your company's smaller. No, definitely. Uh, you know, moving on to the next area, which is around developer experience. You know, we hear a lot, a lot about this around developer empathy, but what does it mean to be developer first? Ooh, yeah. Um, I mean, I think developer experience definitely starts with a, a, a portal and documentation around your API, but providing them with, uh, you know, analytics and, and usage and insight into uh, what's going on with their API consumption. And so I think early API management was really about developing awareness for the provider who's using, you know, making sure you're keying up and, and every API that you have, putting a rate limit in front of it and measuring it and then providing analytics so you understand how your APIs are being used. I think that, you know, the, the ones that kind of internalize that and and really care about their developers, also share that with their developers, that awareness, that insight, but at, at their little slice of the pie. So giving developers uh, a piece of that, that dashboard and analytics and insight so that they can improve their, their, their usage and understand what they're using or what they're not, or their app is super chatty. And then I would say sharing more of that across, not just their slice of that pie, like, what are other developers doing? What are people doing in similar uh, industries as I am? Like, w- how do my usage size up against other developers in this? And so it's, it becomes a shared developer experience. So it's just not, hey, your docs are great. And I'm, I'm getting the awareness as a developer through a dashboard that you provide me. But I also feel like I'm part of a community. I see how other people are doing it. I can improve my my apps and my consumption. I can make them less chatty because I'm just like pulling the hell out of the API. But oh, look over here, there's a group of developers using webhooks. I didn't even know about the webhooks. And so I would say that that share that community sharing of the insights and awareness that API bring API management has brought 
and making sure that they're they're tuned in that that it's providing value to their world and then i would say you have some actionable goals around activating them so how do you actually activate and 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 increase the engagement of your developers through a good ex- a better and, and perpetually improving developer experience by providing them with more insights and understanding. Cool. And when it comes to, you know, that, that activation, are there ways to measure this developer success and what does developer success look like? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really tough because it's, you know, I've, I've kind of been pushing on this notion of when I sign up for a developer, let's say I sign up for the Twitter API, I have to sign up and say, oh, here's here's my app that I'm building, give you a title and description before Twitter will give me my keys. And most of the time, I don't know what I'm building, you know, and then especially me as as the API evangelist, I'm usually not building an app. I'm usually just kicking the tires, writing a story, understanding what's possible. So the paradigm of an app never fit me. Um, but I'm also, uh, I would say, a special snowflake in, in, in that context. I'm trying many different APIs and never building an app. But even for those who are building an app or the notion of what is an app, I'm, I'm just building an integration. I just want that Twitter data in a Google Sheet. I'm not building an app. You know, I just want to be able to integrate the, the SaaS services that I depend on each day to help make sense of this. So I think the the, the notion of what is an app needs to evolve before we can deliver the proper developer experience and before we can start really measuring that effectively. Because if, if someone's just doing a, you know, an iPass like an integration, I just want to flow between, the metrics are gonna be radically different than if I'm building a mobile app or if I'm building a web app or if I'm building a widget, you know, or if I'm building an IoT app. And so, the the types of metrics, what we measure and and report upon, and and how we then activate and move developers forward in that experience is going to vary widely, and it gets back to I would say those those personas of well, who's who's actually using our API? You know, is it hardcore backend developers building mobile apps, or is it you know business people looking to you know better orchestrate and connect the systems they use on a regular basis? So I think people got to start really getting a handle on well, what is an app or does this even apply? Should we throw the concept of app out the door and just let users um, sign up, you know, and just start playing with things? I think that's one of the frustrations I have with a lot of APIs is that if I'm on Twitter, I have to go to developer.twitter.com to a separate area and sure I can authenticate and sign up with my Twitter account, but I still have to create apps and, and get my metrics over there. It's always this other place where if you use uh, solutions like, like Cloudflare, Cloudflare does this really well, where me as a user of Cloudflare, I log in and behind every dashboard widget on the page, not everyone, but most of them, there's an API button in the bottom corner that I can grab the API call with the key to make a call to that API, just immediately just hit grab it, copy and paste into Postman or other and hit send. My account isn't separate. My keys aren't separate. So I think the notion of what is a, a developer experience um, needs to be melded with uh, just what is that app experience or what is that platform experience and what is the holistic overall platform experience that we need to cater to to get people 
using APIs. And I think once we get over that kind of friction point in the, in kind of the, the current notion of what is a, a platform versus an API platform versus an app being built on that, I think you're going to see entirely new types of usage emerge and new ways of measuring and creating experiences for folks. Now, this is a really interesting point where in this case, it's not about having a single developer experience, but it's actually more of a way of thinking, right? It's uh, embedded within the app. doesn't matter what team you're a part of. Yeah. And that kind of thinking is going to be more aligned with your business goals. Too many, too often an API is a secondary project that got done and we checked that box. It's not in alignment with the overall core business goals because it was this side thing done over here and you link to it over here. No, it should be part of what is our platform experience and integrations and SaaS integrations like Zapier and if this, then that, and all, that's commonplace. Low code, no code automation with APIs is commonplace. And that does not fit into this sidebar narrative of what is developer experience. It should just be your overall platform user experience. So now if I'm part of a developer experience team, what should I be uh, uh, judged on? Is it revenue? Is it something different? It's hard to say, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, revenue, you're going to, you know, <laughs> you're going to just piss a bunch of people off pretty quickly. <laughs> but, you know, depending on your developer team, you're going to you're going to rub them wrong pretty quickly. But yes, everything we do at a company. Ha I mean, maybe that's one of the things that that caused that the misalignment with the overall business objectives is, is we, uh, us developers wear these special snowflakes off over here and don't make us sell. Yes, but we also need our paychecks paid and, and the company's got to make money or we all lose our jobs. So I think we need to just start having a, a more honest conversation about that. But I think ultimately for me, I want to, as DevRel or, or evangelism or any spectrum in between, I want to be measured on the impact that I'm making. So that's going to be stories I tell, um, blog posts, webinars, white papers, case studies, things like that. So I should be measured on, on the stories and the impact of those stories that I make measuring how I reach. But <coughs> Postman, you know, this is one of, in my, one of my OKRs for what I got to report on is like the number of collections that I get added to the Postman network. Now this may seem very Postman specific, but it's not because it's, it's Postman collections for me are like, okay, the first one's always, here's the entire API, a reference collection. Here's all the things that are possible. That's pretty ground zero and that's pretty boring. But for me, the next collection is always a more DevOps, API ops, business workflow collection. All right, so if it's, you know, it's an e-commerce API, here's the first reference collection, all of the endpoints. But the next one is searching for a product, adding it to a cart, checking out on the cart, getting that invoice. Okay, I want that collection that does all of those steps and as a self-contained collection. And so it's really that, those second gen and third generation collections that start getting at what the business value is, why we're actually doing this. And so those are the types of things that I think DevRel should be, should be measured against is how do I translate our APIs and developer cycles into something that uh, uh, solves an actual real world problem, a real business use case, and then 
brings customers to us. So that brings customers to us can kind of be decoupled from us, from it to make us feel warm and fuzzy as DevRel people in our little little bubble. But mm -hmm. I think that that actionable right up to that still has to be there, and we've got to be held accountable for that one. And this brings up a really good point around you know API ops trying to align it back to business value. But what does all these different buzzwords mean? API ops, API observability. There's a few others floating around. Yeah, I mean these are just you know API ops for me is is just you know an, an extension of DevOps, which is is just the the little incremental things that we have to do throughout our day to get our job done. You know, it's setting up a database, it's indexing that database, it's pushing code, you know, CI/CD. It's it's running a test as part of that CI/CD. So breaking down all those tasks and looking them at, at, you know, this is my toolbox of what, as a developer, this is what I need to accomplish in a day. And as those roles expand that, that you, you know, talked about early on is, you know, as this is, I'm a Q&A and tester, what does DevOps look like for me? You know, if I'm um, a low code, no code, if I'm an analyst, if I'm working on just sales, uh, or marketing automation enablement, you know, what are those little tasks that I need to accomplish, you know, during my day, if you're in marketing, you know, it's like Salesforce, Marketo, you know, all of these platforms that I depend on, what are those little functional things I need to accomplish? And so ops level APIs for me, kind of APIs do well at defining what those are. So back to what I said about a reference collection, the the reference collection for Marketo is here's the entire menu of everything you can do with the Marketo platform. API ops or DevOps is now, how do we then combine one or many of those API calls into something that is actually tangible in my daily work um, as a developer, all the way up to these other business personas. And so that's the key part for me is, is really defining what those uh, those are because that becomes a, a version of your your enterprise capabilities. That's what you're capable of accomplishing on a daily basis, and having them defined as collections, having them executable and usable and shareable. So it's like, hey, look, I set up this cool new workflow with sales between Salesforce and and whatever. I can sh I can capture that. I can then share it with a team member and say, hey, do this. And then they can tweak and make it work for their world. And it's that type of that ops level collaboration, I think is, is where the rubber is really going to meet the road in the next decade. I no, really love looking at it from a collaboration standpoint. How do we get more people you know, using these different APIs into the various collections? But at some point we had to get rid of them, right? I mean, there is a life cycle for any of these uh, uh, products. What are some good uh, things you've seen in terms of deprecation guidelines, versioning guidelines? And, and where do people usually mess up? Yeah, I mean, versioning is, is tough as far as API lifecycle. There's a lot of there's a lot of opinions on how you do it. There's even a lot of opinions on not doing it, that you shouldn't do it. Versioning is bad. Um, for me, versioning is just really being open and honest and about change. It's about change management and having a plan. If, if your plan is to not actually semantically version your code or your collections or your APIs or your documentation, great, but have a plan and communicate that and show how it actually allows you to move faster and, and produces less friction. If you just kind of 
throw it out there and say, oh, we don't, we don't version because we don't want to. Um, and then you have no change management plan. It's not the way you want to go. So I've seen both. I've seen, you know, I know Netflix is one that they do very well without versioning. You know, they're, they have a whole different strategy. Tune into their engineering blog if you want to learn more about that. But when it comes to versioning, you know, semantic versioning is, is, is kind of dominant. But really the having a strategy and, and how, what is change? And then how do we communicate change? And internally amongst teams, but then externally with our consumers, that's really the, the core of what is versioning to me. It's not the technical details of doing it. It's that we have a plan and we're communicating around it and people understand what we're saying when we, we talk about it, excuse me. And so open API is, is with semantic versioning um, is, is one of the ways that you stabilize this communication. Here's a contract for version one. This is what I mean. This is what you're gonna get. Okay, when we go to version one, two, here's what you're gonna get. Here's what I mean. And here's that time frame of when you're going to get it. And then you're communicating expectations around change. Okay, we're, you know, we're at version 12 and version nine is going to go away because we only support X amount of versions. And so really it's not semantic versioning that that is 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 the real meaningful thing there. It's the fact that I can communicate to you what is version nine, what is 10, 11, 12, 13, all the way. I can communicate effectively a time frame of when nine is going to be deprecated. And then further kind of extensions that communication is how do I communicate that with you? A lot of uh, Rastafarians and people who believe in, you know, uh, you know, using the web, which is, is important, believe that the version should be in the header. The version should never be in the path of your API. Now, if you're actually working in the space, you realize, no, actually probably 70% of the versions you come across are in the path, which is like goes against everything the rest of RNs believe in and the scripture that was handed down from the API gods. And so, but the problem is, is a lot of developers don't know headers exist. And so they don't even know to look for the version in the headers. Um, and thus, the communication around change breaks down. And when it's in the path, it's right in your face and it's easy to understand and it's easy to navigate between ver major versions. And so that just shows the importance for me, it shows the importance of communication. And that's the thing around change management that matters is that we're able to say, hey, you're on, you're on this version. Hey, I'm on this version. Hey, you need to switch to this version. And if you look at like Stripe, Stripe, when you come in in the first API call that you make, they pin you to a version and that's the version you're at. Like you have to consciously say, oh, I'm going to this version because that's the mindset people are in. You onboard, you're using this version. That's your, your Stripe context. Now don't mess with that. I, I'm working in that context until I say I want to go to another version. And so really versioning comes down to just having a strategy realizing the communication and making sure that depending on your audience, you're communicating those things in the right way. And there's other things you can do. Like um, there's a sunset header that you can pass when, like, when are we going to deprecate this? And then that 
time frame moves closer, you know, that header can be used to communicate this in different ways. And so that the, the biggest damage and problems that I see people make with versioning is um, they don't communicate. They don't have a plan. Like, oh, I'm launching this API. You should have a deprecation date. Like I plan intend on supporting this version that we just created for 18 months. And most APIs don't do that. So it could live forever. But then what usually happens is because we never communicated that, you know, this API could just disappear next week because I never really communicated when it's going to go away or how long it's going to be around. So I therefore reserve the right to just make it disappear next week. And it's that kind of breakdown in communication that are the biggest sins, I think, that we see across the space. Totally agree that communicating anything with deprecation or change of versions is, is really important, especially as you mentioned, adding it to the URL now with stuff like webhooks is right in your face. Sometimes those headers can get buried. You know, you don't even see the header, right? I'm always amazed at the super smart PhD level programmers that come across in my career who don't know about headers. <clears throat> and I don't, you know, I would never call someone stupid or dumb for, for not knowing that because it's just, there's so many things blasting us around us that we, we did. I don't think everyone got the HTTP course, you know, <laughs> they were doing C plus plus and they were doing hardcore things and, and they just never quite learned about the web and how HTTP works. And when I finally got that, I was like, Oh, Oh, wow. Okay. So now I'm in the know, but there's a lot of people out there who are super smart, super competent and capable, but just don't quite get an HTTP header and what it is and, and how much gets stuffed in that. And what's the difference between it and a, and a query parameter or a body parameter? I, I don't think there's a lot of awareness around that. And there, there should be a little bit more training and workshops for people. Definitely. And, and how forceful should like an API product manager or someone be at pushing someone to the next version or to new API? And what are some other ways to communicate, you know, if those deprecation headers are, are get buried? Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, this is where sometimes it goes beyond the technology of APIs, it goes into the business. Um, I, I had one time a, a print API that I was de designing the new one for. And and then it was like, oh, we only got five users left on, on the old on the oldest version. Let's let's push them all off. And four of them went and responded. The fifth one submitted a print job every Monday morning that was worth five hundred thousand dollars. Wow. We didn't we didn't force them to version and switch. They couldn't do it. The guy who built it left they didn't know how to switch it and the whole company's print for the week was was dependent on this and it was five hundred thousand dollars so guess what we stopped the pushing on them you know and so there's things like that that are just out of technical control but i would say you want to have a nice as part of the change management communication you want to have a nice logical pace strolling forward and reaching back hey do we are we leaving anybody behind hey you guys in the back there what, what do you need to to you know understand you know the future and moving forward um and be not supporting too wide of a spread of apis you know you look at like salesforce they're still supporting that first api they stood up in day one that's 20 years later 
I mean, do you want to be doing that? So again, it comes down to the communication. You just got to be knowing your, your consumers and really it comes down to the API management layer and the analytics and awareness is like, if you don't know who your consumers are and you've never had a conversation with them, you probably can't push them forward too fast. But if you know who they are and you regularly have conversations with them, you can probably march forward pretty fast. Definitely agree there before making any big decision like that, you know, understanding who is impacted, what the impact is to both your customers and your, your business itself is always important. Yeah, huge. It's very important. But I mean, sometimes we have to force people to a new version after there's a security, you know, a vulnerability or something like that. You know, when is it up to the provider to say, hey, it's, I'm responsible for my customers integrations and I should get them to the next version. And, and how can you actually force that happen? Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, this, you got to make calls like this and how you allow for integrations. I mean, this was supposedly one of the promises of hypermedia mm -hmm. is having APIs where your clients don't actually, are, when you issue a new version, you're not going to break all your clients because they're, they're kind of version agnostic. They're just, they have a set of links that they follow. I know to look for that next and previous link. I know to look for things in the API call. I'm not actually bound to the next is always slash V3 slash, you know, so it really comes down to how you design your APIs and then that's how you enable uh, your, your consumers to de design and, and develop their integrations. If you're providing them with SDKs that are robust and well done and they don't have to write a lot of that code, you're going to have less brittle code and you're going to have more control over that code that's in people's applications. So if it, it, this is really that SDK and, and I wouldn't say just SDK, but platform development kit. If you're providing more of those resources to your consumers, you're going to have a greater say in how they can move forward because you've taken on, on the ownership of those, those integration details. And you're going to be able to say, hey, this isn't going to break something. We're going to go forward to version eight. You're all going to come along and, oh, wait, except for you, because you did your own little custom thing. But um, hopefully you can minimize those pools by providing more integration resources for people. Has OpenAPI changed any of this, especially when it comes to SDK design, communicating some of these changes? Yeah, it's really, I would say it's kind of the crux of why I see um, a lot of major providers switching uh, to open API recently is because of the, the code gen capabilities is they're they're tired of of supporting you know 10 different programming languages SDKs that are all hand rolled and so realizing that if they just invest in their open API properly um, auto generate and, and auto refine and clean that up. And that, and, and then that becomes the central truth of the API lifecycle. Then your docs, you, you know, your overall docs and developer experience there is better, but yeah, it really pushes on that, that, that code gen piece is that you can uh, generate your, your, your client libraries in a variety of languages much faster, much quicker in a much more consistent way. And then you can also get at some of those other integrations as well. So other iPaaS platforms, you know, the, the Zapiers and, and if this, then that, 
they can just grab your your open API for your platform and boom, you got an integration and you're on an integrations page for iPass. And same with other SaaS providers. If they want to add you to their integration page, they don't have to wait for you to do it. They can grab your open API and do that. And then that just adds to the playing field when it comes to the the integrations that are possible. And they're all dependent on that 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 contract, that open API truth. They're not all custom code, custom you know, uh, develop things that are going to break when you do march forward. Cool. No, definitely. And when it comes to stuff like open API, super exciting to see, you know, the change in, in different tools and things in the API space, but what's next for APIs? I mean, a lot of stuff has changed in the last, uh, I guess, half a year even. Yeah. I mean, I would say it's just, for me, it's, it's a lot more of the same. It's like, I'm seeing, you know, Salesforce, Twilio, Dropbox, Twitter all adopt an open API driven API lifecycle for the reasons we just talked about. And so I would say it's, it's more of that. It's like people realizing, um, you know, oh, we're not just doing swagger because we need docs. No, we're, we're actually realize swagger is not the spec anymore. We're doing open API and we're doing docs. We're doing mocks. We're doing test generation. We're doing security scanning and fuzzing. We're doing code gen. So we're, we're really going all in on, on API first, meaning that, that we got to have this contract before we develop anything on top of it. And this contract is driving every stop along our API lifecycle, which is now well-defined. And so that's the next decade. I mean, I've been doing this for 10 years and you know, I realized none of this moves forward as fast as we would like. So that's really the, the big piece. I would say the new elements of that are going to be around discoverability, meaning now you can find all your APIs because you have a contract defined for them. Now you can actually be compliant and now you can actually scan all of your APIs consistently. Um, you know, API providers requiring before an API goes into production, there's got to be a complete and robust open API definition before you can ever push anything to a pipeline. So I would say that's really the future. And I know people hate it when I do these because it's not super cool, but just stabilizing your life cycle, making it open API and contract driven. But with that said, you know, I would say what comes with that maturity is people then realizing, well, we need to do webhooks because we've got a couple successful APIs that, that people are pulling a lot and, you know, and to kind of reduce that infrastructure load, we're going to publish some webhooks. And oh, by the way, we should also probably do a pub sub you know, Nats or Kafka or some other TCP related. And so expanding your, your API toolbox beyond just REST and going GraphQL, going PubSub and, you know, using WebSockets or, you know, not to, or going gRPC. So I would say what's next is really acknowledging that it's a diverse API toolbox. It's not just, uh, rest um well that'll remain king you know or, or you know top it'll be the the kind of gateway drug for anyone doing apis it'll be the base of our api operations but depending on your consumers and the types of applications and integrations you're doing you might need a graphql api that's more data intensive and giving uh your developers a little bit more control over querying if you're heavy B2B, you're probably going to go with some gRPC APIs that, that are a little more higher performing. But we still need all of the same basic stuff, you know, that came with API management. We still need, 
you know, analytics, rate limiting and insights into all of those layers. And we need testing, we need mock mocking, we need documentation. So we need the same stops along the API lifecycle. It's just the future is really going to be, well, that might not be just HTTP 1.1. It's likely going to be HTTP 3. It's likely going to be TCP. It's going to be MQTT if it's more device IoT. And that diverse toolbox really represents the future. I'm really happy that you uh, touched on GraphQL. Super exciting area right now in the enterprise. Uh, what's some of the challenges, though, when it comes to GraphQL? And is it something that everyone should adopt? You know, it sounds like sometimes this is like the SQL versus NoSQL debate, mm -hmm. or does it make sense for every application? Yeah, so whether it's something everyone should adopt, no. Whether it's it's a critical tool in some, some people's toolbox, yes. Um, <clears throat> the biggest challenge with GraphQL is the way that it was positioned and sold is that it was, it's been positioned as a replacement for REST. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm losing my voice. Um, <laughs> It's not, it's not a replacement for REST. It's not a, a, a API pattern that works for all APIs. Now, if you've got a, a known set of consumers who are rapidly building uh, certain types of mobile responsive applications, who really understand your underlying data model, hell yes, give them a GraphQL endpoint and get the hell out of their way. Let them do what they do best. Um, so if it's a, a data project, um, with that, those type of setup, like, yeah, yeah. If you've got known users, like it is a must have. Um, but, you know, look at like what GitHub's doing now. They've made a real big push into open API recently. Um, I think they're going to still do some storytelling about why they're, they're doubling down on open API and their REST API while also still supporting GraphQL. I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned in there that we'll hear about. And so, um, so yeah, it should be, that should be both should be part of your diverse API toolbox. I would say some of the other challenges with GraphQL are going to be, um, I wish the creators had embraced HTTP standard a little bit more. Um, I agree that we need a, a query pa pattern that's standardized, um, should be baked into HTTP. Definitely. It shouldn't, shouldn't be a separate thing. Um, because then you're going to start solving other challenges with GraphQL around caching and, and performance. And, uh, you know, a lot of those solutions have been done in a proprietary way. That's like here, use this vendor and use this tool and caching's just magically done for you. That's, you know, that should be an, an HTTP standard as well. You know, like HTTP, there's a lot of caching, uh, solutions in there. So. So really, those are some of the challenges. But in the right situation, if you know your your who your consumers are, GraphQL is gonna gonna allow you to build things a lot faster, be a lot more flexible and agile in how you uh, how you get data and content out there. So there's definitely a place for it. Totally agree. It's it's hard when it comes to the stuff like caching, where we already did have standards around that, and now GraphQL breaks everything. Even the status codes. I'm not sure why uh, we can't just use yeah. the same HTTP status codes we already have. Yeah, right yeah, but this is what happens when you don't really embrace the web or understand. And it's akin to what we talked about earlier with the header li literacy. So a lot of people just take for granted the web and how much work, how much investment and how much it actually brings to the table. And before they go building these new solutions, you know, or, or they should spend some more time understanding the web and go, oh, that's why status codes exist never really quite understood 
you know, and, and it's back to what I said about change management. Status codes are about communication. You know, they're about communicating good things and bad things and, and whose fault it is and, and at scale. And we've already hashed these out. Let's not reinvent the wheel. I totally agree. And, you know, just when it comes to education and, you know, getting into APIs, what are some recommendations for, you know, the new college grads out there looking to join a career in, you know, APIs or maybe develop relations or a different area? Well, I'm biased, but of course we started <laughs> apievangelist.com. But uh, no, I mean, beyond that, um, you know, Nordic APIs is a great place to get information about the API space. Um, I have a, a roundup, I believe, what's it called? Like, like API Knowledge Center. Um, I actually should put it like as a banner on, on the homepage of API Evangelist. Um, I think I'll do that this week. But it's kind of a roundup of what are the resources in the space. So it's a listing of all the top API blogs. Um, there's a handful of API newsletters out there. Um, my friend Matt Reinbold's got one. Um, uh, James Higginbotham has another. Um, so search for the handful of API newsletters. Both of those come up if you Google it. Um, those will keep you in tune with what's going on, give you some good roundup of stories. Um, but really, you know, we're, I'm working hard uh, to, to kind of invest in the, in the Postman platform for onboarding new developers. So the Postman API network, there's quite a few APIs in there that are, um, I have one that's uh, public REST APIs. That's like a hundred different uh, APIs that don't require authentication. So they're really easy to use. Um, and there's ones like, you know, every topic, you know, if you're into books, if you're into cats, if you're into dogs, I got ones on Bitcoin, there's ones on, you know, Chuck Norris jokes. So whatever you're interested in, there's a free API, a public API that you can then kick the tires on and see what it's all about. And you can, you know, it's easy to use with Postman. So I'm trying to create more of those collections to onboard folks. And I do a lot of speaking to university students and trying to convince them why APIs matter, why it's going to impact their career. And so I'm building more of these types of collections that show, hey, you're, you're going into, uh, you know, archaeology, here's a collection for you. Hey, you're going into accounting, here's a collection for you. Going into public policy and management, here's one for you. So I, I've been working on more of those, but there's, there's a handful in the Postman network that will kind of onboard you with the world of APIs and help you kind of see it. So, but with that said, this is something that us as the space collectively should get better at creating a kind of more of a canonical source of where you get up to speed on APIs. It, it, it historically has been programmable web, but um, it's just not, not the destination and source it should be or it needs to be to get us into the future. I would say it still represents the last 15 years, not really the next 15 years. So we, we need to do better. I'm definitely gonna have to take a look at the Chuck Norris jokes. Uh, that looks quite interesting. <laughs> yes. Well, thank Criti you very much. Critical Ken. API there, critical API. Well, thank you very much, Ken, for joining us today. Uh, lo always love hearing your insights on the API space and API lifecycle. Um, have a good one. Yeah, you guys know where to find me. Let me know if you need to do more. You too. Thanks. <laughs>